Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. A warning for our listeners. Today's episode contains adult content and details of sexual abuse, which some may find upsetting. It's an early morning, and an ambulance pulls into the hospital at Amstetten, a small town near Vienna in Austria. Inside is a seriously ill teenager so frail that doctors feared for her life. Her only relative, a mysterious grandfather. Doctors were unsure what to do with the girl, but they knew they needed to talk to the mother urgently. Finding the mother became essential, and a few days later, a woman called Elizabeth came forward. And her story of being imprisoned and raped for 24 years by her father, Josef Fritzl, would shock the world. So straight to that top story on the third day of the so-called House of Horrors trial. There's uh, hundreds of journalists who came here from all over the world. A dozen policemen guarding a man who's received thousands of death threats. I'm Fiannan Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Ellen Coyne, news correspondent with the Irish Dependent, to find out why there's a possibility of one of the world's most infamous abusers being released. After being locked up for the past 15 years and 16 years after first coming to international prominence, Joseph Fritzl, we're hearing about him again. Why is that, Ellen? So Joseph Fritzl, widely regarded as probably the most infamous sex offenders in modern memory, is back in the news basically because he has applied for release. He spent most of his incarceration in a high security prison for people who were classed as mentally abnormal in Austria. But under Austrian law, if you are sentenced to life in prison, you can qualify for conditional release after 15 years. Uh, He hit that 15-year limit in 2023. His lawyer has now secured a report which says that he is no longer a threat to society. He's 88 years old. He's suffering from dementia. So he can be considered 
for movement to a less secure, ordinary population prison. But at the same time, his legal representative is advocating that he should actually be moved to a nursing home uh, on the basis of his current condition. He has been diagnosed with dementia. He's frail. He is walking with a frame. And she's saying that on the basis of an argument of human dignity, Joseph Fritzl should spend the rest of his life in a nursing home and not in a high security prison. So Ellen, this would mean Josef Fritzl being released back into the general population. Back into a less secure prison. It is worth mentioning that in 2022, there was a regional court that also found that he was no longer perceived to be a threat. And it had made an attempt then to move him to a less secure prison. But that was overruled by Vienna's higher regional court. And I suppose, obviously, any attempt to move him to a less secure facility would come with a massive amount of public scrutiny, not just in Austria, but around the world. It is worth uh, pointing out that the person who carried out the psychiatric evaluation on him is the same uh, medical professional who carried out the first report when he was first arrested in 2008, convicted in 2009, which found obviously a massive lack of human empathy, significant amounts of intelligence, but really deep emotional problems. And that same mental health professional has said now that they also agree with his legal representatives that he does not present a threat to the population anymore. So... Take us back to the life and times of Josef Fritzl. What was his upbringing like? So he was born in 1935 and at the time his parents weren't married and that probably would have carried a fairly significant amount of social stigma for him when he was growing up. He didn't have a very easy childhood. Uh, His father was a drunk and he was thrown out when Fritzl was just four years old. He would often be kind of cheating on his mother and they had a very difficult relationship. His mother was a little bit rebellious and when Fritzl was nine years old she got in trouble with the Nazis and was sent into a concentration camp. He was sent to an orphanage and he was actually told at the time that she had died. A year later the war ended and she was released and he found found out then that she had been alive the entire time. After she was released, according to Fritzl, she started to get quite violent with him. Fritzl himself addressed the court. I had a very difficult childhood, he said. My mother didn't want me. I was beaten. When he grew older, he said he fought back against her. From that point on, I was Satan personified for her. According to him and the way that he would write about his life and his upbringing, this was very influential and caused a huge amount of damage. He kind of would worship his mother from afar. She wouldn't be affectionate with him. She wouldn't kind of have the normal relationship that a mother would have with her son. When he was 21 years old, he married a 17-year-old woman uh, called Rosemary and they had a number of children together. The one who became most famous, I suppose, for deeply terrible reasons was Lisbeth. Elizabeth, when she was basically 18 years of age, just just disappeared uh, into thin air. What was the cover story that, that he was presenting to the authorities at the time? So before she went missing, she had run away already as a teenager. So while her mother filed a missing persons report when she vanished in 1984, Fritzl maintained that she had gone to join a religious 
cult. Um, and he had some uh, evidence to support this because occasionally letters in her handwriting would appear supporting that story. Unfortunately, it would take many years later before people uncovered the real story of what happened to Lisbeth. Take us then all the way forward to April of 2008, 24 years later. And this is the first time that uh, Elizabeth Fritzl is seen in person again. How did that come about? So basically, a 19-year-old girl had shown up to hospital in a really difficult condition. And uh, the hospital found out that Elizabeth, who was still assumed missing at that point, was her mother and made a public appeal for her mother to come forward. Elizabeth did come forward. And that's where I suppose the true heinous nature of Joseph Fritzl and his crimes started to unravel and became a globally horrifying story. You have to shake your head in disbelief. How on earth can these things happen? And in this particular case, how could he possibly get away with it for so long? It's just unthinkable. A father who kept his daughter locked away in a secret chamber for 24 years. What was Elizabeth put through and explain the the knock-on consequences, I suppose, that happened therein? So it's worth pointing out that we obviously the world only found this out retrospectively, but even from the age of 11, uh, Elizabeth had been abused by Joseph Fritzl, her father. In the early 1980s, Fritzl had started building this kind of concrete bunker in the basement of the family home. And when Elizabeth was 18, he actually asked her for help hanging the door, the final part of this, this horrible construction. The cellar is reached through one, two three, eight locked doors in all, to the final hidden entrance to Elizabeth's prison. Beyond that, Fritzl had purpose-built a prison with a kitchen, a bathroom, a living area, and beyond that, two bedrooms. It was cramped, dark and airless. He used chloroform to drug her and to push her into the bunker and locked her up there for 24 years. She was subjected to rape thousands of times. It's probably impossible to count, but in the subsequent trial, it was estimated that she had suffered sexual violence 3,000 times. She was abused by her father and she had seven children by him. Three of them actually were imprisoned with her for all of their childhoods. Kirsten, Stefan and Felix. One baby, Michael, actually passed away uh, when he was an infant and Fritzl would later be held responsible for his death. And in an even more macabre twist to the story, Fritzl was still maintaining to his wife that he believed that Elizabeth was in a religious cult that didn't have room for children. So three of the children, Alexander, Lisa and Monica, would be placed near the home with a note apparently written by Elizabeth saying that she couldn't look after them. So the three of them were actually adopted by Fritzl and his wife. Now, in 1967, Fritzl had been convicted of rape, but under the laws in Austria, if 15 years have passed and the sentence that you were given wasn't a life sentence, it's taken from your record. So when he adopted three of Elizabeth's children that he had actually fathered through sexual violence, there was no criminal record available for his previous count of sexual violence. He comes into contact with authorities at, at various different points. And, and yet 
he manages to fold them off with, with what would appear now to be not all that convincing stories, but at the time they, they, they probably stood up to some form of logic. Yeah, and I suppose once this story came to global attention, one of the things that really seized the community in Austria was how something so terrible, something kind of beyond the imagination of most ordinary people could happen in the most ordinary, almost suburban settings. At the time when Elizabeth and her children were being held captive in the the basement, Fritzl was actually letting out a space in his house to a gentleman who sometimes said that he would hear noises underneath and Fritzl would kind of pass it off and say that it was the heating system. He had a very complicated security system uh, installed on the bunker with a specific code that only he could use. He would go to great lengths to, when he was buying clothes for the three children that were being held in the basement, he would go to a different town. He would make sure that when he was buying food or groceries for them, he would do it not in his local area. I suppose the most startling thing of all is that he managed to keep this a secret from his wife the entire time. And when all of this came to light, he was very quick to clarify that Ro- Rosemary hadn't known anything about what was going on under her own nose, under her own feet, in her own home. And she quickly divorced him afterwards and I suppose was kind of horrified by what had happened. But we did learn then from people in the community, people who had known them as a couple, that Fritzl was known as quite domineering. I suppose we might equate it now to maybe a person who could be accused of coercive control and it seems that Rosemary was living in a fairly difficult relationship with him herself as well. There was one thing that Fritzl couldn't control. When one of the kids in the dungeon got seriously ill, he had to do something and that brings us back to this hospital where things started to unravel. It was a few weeks ago the eldest of the cellar kids 19-year-old Kirsten became seriously ill and remarkably, Fritzl agreed to call an ambulance. Her first time ever outside. Doctors were immediately suspicious. The young girl was as white as a sheet from severe vitamin D deficiency, a total lack of sunlight. Police were baffled. Who was she? Where was her mother? Back in the basement, Elizabeth finally stood up to her father demanding to go and see Kirsten. And again, remarkably, he agreed. What came out as well were allegations about the treatment of his mother in her latter years at his hands. As we mentioned already, Fritzl did have a very difficult relationship with his mother and the way that he was treated by his mother in his childhood seemed to be quite a formative experience for him. We learned in 2008 that he had actually also kept his ailing mother locked in an attic room and he had bricked up the windows until her death. This came out in the court reports at the time. Um, He was giving interviews with a forensic psychiatrist in which he said that he had basically incarcerated his mother as well. At the time, he tried to blame her for his actions and I suppose while people would recognise that he did have a difficult relationship, I don't think anyone would think it was reasonable to confer the blame on her. Particularly given that at the time of his arrest, he was still denying responsibility for some of those crimes. Um, And the retired engineer and property developer basically said that the way he treated his mother at the end stage of her life, the way he incarcerated with her, was revenge for the abuse that he claims she inflicted on him when she was a child and his mother passed away in 1980. When he was finally caught, what was the reaction both in Austria and around the world to this? In terms of 
a crime. It was almost a global sensation. You would say it was the stuff of horror films, but I think at that point, even fiction couldn't have conceived of the things that Joseph Fritzl did to his own flesh and blood. The entire world's media descended on Austria. If you look over there, that says a lot about the media frenzy going on here. That is all international live TV positions around here, all the international networks who are uh, producing from right here. There's more than 200 journalists covering this trial. So right now we're inside the press tent and this has been set up extra for this trial to accommodate all the media. You can see if you look over there, we're sort of getting ready for the daily press conference and this town is actually pretty small. So see how they cope with so many media people. Despite the fact that the country itself was reeling with horror at what had happened to one of their own citizens, the Austrian public actually became quite protective and they really struggled in particular with some of the English tabloids. Like this was such a, a hideous story. I suppose the public were seized with just horror and revulsion. And some of the tabloids really went in on that and focused a lot on some of the more gruesome, harrowing, difficult and disgusting details. Obviously, there was so much interest at the time in Elizabeth and the three children who had been incarcerated with her. But there was almost like this um, collective public effort to protect her privacy. She was always very, uh, I suppose, rightly precious about the fact that she wouldn't be telling her story. Her family wouldn't be telling her story. The three children who were incarcerated with her wouldn't be under pressure to tell their stories or kind of sacrifice their privacy after what had happened. And um, the public kind of rallied around her and tried to protect her from the really vicious glare of the international media at a time when she was like tasting liberation for the first time again in 24 years. Strangely enough, over the years, we, we've heard a lot from Fritzl about his mindset, his crimes, his views on it now. What are the kind of things that he's been saying over the years? Yeah, even after he was caught, he would give these what might have sounded to him like quite lofty, I don't know if you even call it a justification for what he did, but just sounded plainly absurd to the rest of the world. At one stage, he was kind of spinning this yarn as if what he'd done had been the actions of a protective father. Elizabeth was obviously a teenager at the time that she was abducted and raped by her father. And he was saying that she had been spending time in bars, she'd been smoking, and he did what he could to protect her. In another really perverse account of what he'd done, he started to kind of frame the fact that he'd incarcerated his own daughter and three of his grandchildren in this underground basement as a kind of beautiful thing and was telling uh, psychological evaluators that he would bring in a Christmas tree, that they would celebrate meals together, that he would mark birthdays. Like there seemed to be such a sense of delusion about the scale of what he had done. And it was quite difficult to get him to account for what he had done, to explain what he had done, and most difficult of all, to get him to actually atone for what he had done. Yeah, he, he's even given an interview of sorts to The Sun in, in recent years. And and again, kind of pop culture references there and, and seemed to be aware of what was happening in the world. Yeah, and I suppose this is kind of difficult and a little bit troubling. This was um, an interview that was conducted by The Sun in 2023, so not so long ago. At the time, Fritzl had been diagnosed with dementia and it seems like the interview was done via his legal representative. They got a statement to The Sun newspaper. 
there's really strange commentary in it where he seems to genuinely think that there's going to be a sort of reunification between him and his family after what he did to them and uh, a genuine belief that they were going to forgive him. And then some really strange quotes where he kind of goes into his daily routine in prison, how he would sun himself through the bars of uh, his prison window, talking about how he was taking vitamins. He was trying to keep a good diet because he was preparing himself for the possibility of release. And then I'm not sure if this was kind of pandering to the fact that he was talking to a British tabloid, but giving quotes about how much he had enjoyed the coronation, uh, the fact that he was a supporter of the royal family and that he was a fan of King Charles. But obviously all of that comes with the caveat that this was an interview that was given by a man, obviously with the consent of his legal representative, but at a time when he was uh, suffering from dementia as well. Looking ahead to this year, what are the actual prospects that he will be released from from a a high security facility into a a lower security, more comfortable one? So all we have to go on, I suppose, is the the analysis of his legal representative. She seems genuinely quite confident that that at the very least he's going to be released to a less secure prison. And the most compelling I suppose, a piece of evidence that she has to support that is the fact that he has been medically assessed and found to not pose a threat to general society anymore. I suppose what might raise eyebrows is the fact that his legal representative is being even more ambitious and genuinely seems to believe that she has a shot at getting one of the most notorious sexual abusers in modern living memory into a nursing home on the argument that he deserves the kind of liberty and human dignity that comes with that for the end of his life, his last days on earth, given the fact that he is just infamous and always will be infamous for denying liberty, not just to his daughter, but to uh, three children as well. And what about his daughter, Elizabeth, and her children? What do we know of them now? From the moment that she escaped, Elizabeth has been jealously guarding her privacy for reasons that most people understand. She was given a new identity for obvious reasons and she was to a tiny hamlet in Austria. It's known only as Village X and all we know about that is that the residents of this village have been fiercely protective of her. Obviously a lot of time has passed since her father was convicted and it's never been leaked, it's never been released and it's never been hinted where she is. It was reported that she was able to form a happy long-term relationship This is actually one of the security guards who was assigned to protect her when she started her new life. The three children who had been based with her in the cellar also seem to have gone on, thankfully, to have relatively normal, hopefully very ordinary and mundane lives. In 2010, it was reported that Felix, who would have been the youngest of the three children kept in the basement, was now enjoying games on the PlayStation. He had really captured a lot of people's attention because when they were released, there were reports about the fact that he, as a very small child, was staring at grass in wonderment because he'd never seen it before. By 2013, he was reported to have almost forgotten his time in the dungeon because thankfully he was so young. When it had happened, he was able to forget and he was attending a school where his classmates thankfully didn't know anything about his history and his past. Kirsten, who was the the child who became sick and actually ultimately managed to accidentally secure her mother's release and her siblings released, recovered from the illness that put her in hospital in the first place and had a boyfriend. And Stefan, who first saw daylight at the age of 18 years old was said to have ambitions of seeing the world as a merchant ship captain. And my thanks to Ellen Coyne. 
I'm Fiona Sheehan, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Ian Doyle, researched by Dave Hanratty, recorded by Rory Bones, with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from The Associated Press, BBC News, Sky News, CNN, 60 Minutes Australia, and The Irish Independent. If you've been affected by this podcast, you can find a list of helplines by searching Someone to Talk to on The Irish Independent. If you enjoyed the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. 0818-715-715.